In the hours following the announcement of the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth, our Lord of Man, countless words have been written and spoken in our best, yet somehow inadequate, attempts to express our admiration, our gratitude and our massive sense of loss at the passing of this truly remarkable woman. She was the longest reigning monarch in British history and the longest reigning female monarch in the world and for most of us has been part of the very fabric of our life, which is why I think we feel her passing so keenly. We recognise, even if we can't find the words, that she stood for something so much more than herself. Throughout her life, the Queen has looked in two directions, upwards to God and outwards to her people. As Princess Elizabeth, broadcasting on the radio on her 21st birthday in April 1947, she publicly declared that hers was to be a life of service. I declare before you that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and the service of our great imperial family to which we all belong. But I shall not have the strength to carry out this resolution alone unless you join in it with me, as I now invite you to do. I know that your support will be unfailingly given. God help me to make good my vow, and God bless all of you who are willing to share in it. Six months before her coronation, again the Queen asked the people of the United Kingdom to pray that God may give me wisdom and strength to carry out the solemn promises I shall be making, and that I may faithfully serve him and you all the days of my life. And on her coronation day in 1953, Almost 30 million people worldwide watched a ceremony which so powerfully pointed in one direction. The Queen was vowing to serve her people as a servant of God. But there was one part of the service which was considered too sacred to be broadcast and was witnessed only by those directly involved in it. Handel's anthem Zadok the Priest was sung, all the symbols of the Queen's status were removed. The crimson velvet robe, the diamond crown and the coronation necklace. The priceless swords, scepters and the orb were laid aside and then, stripped of all this stunning symbolism, the Archbishop of Canterbury anointed the Queen with holy oil, pouring it over her head, her hands and her chest to show that she was being set apart to serve and love her people in all her actions, with all her heart and with all her mind. In that commitment, she followed the example of Jesus Christ, who came to earth not to be served, but to serve. And it was a commitment that she embodied until the day she died.
After the coronation ceremony, royal biographer William Shawcross wrote, It was the moment when the holy oil was applied to her, rather than her crowning with St. Edward's crown of solid gold, that was of supreme importance for the Queen. Indeed, it was the most solemn and important moment of her entire life. In 1957, the Queen embraced some new technology. For the first time, her Christmas message was televised, and there was a real sense that she truly wanted this new way of communication to strengthen the bond between her and her people. I very much hope that this new medium will make my Christmas message more personal and direct. It's inevitable that I should seem a rather remote figure to many of you, someone whose face may be familiar in newspapers and films, but who never really touches your personal lives. But now, at least for a few minutes, I welcome you to the peace of my own home. That it's possible for some of you to see me today is just another example of the speed at which things are changing all around us. Because of these changes, I'm not surprised that many people feel lost and unable to decide what to hold on to and what to discard, how to take advantage of the new life without losing the best of the old. But it's not the new inventions which are the difficulty. The trouble is caused by unthinking people who carelessly throw away ageless ideals as if they were old and outworn machinery. They would have religion thrown aside, morality in personal and public life made meaningless, honesty counted as foolishness, and self-interest set up in place of self-restraint. At this critical moment in our history, we will certainly lose the trust and respect of the world if we just abandon those fundamental principles which guided the men and women who built the greatness of this country and Commonwealth. Today, we need a special kind of courage. Not the kind needed in battle, but a kind which makes us stand up for everything that we know is right, everything that is true and honest. We need the kind of courage that can withstand the subtle corruption of the cynics, so that we can show the world that we are not afraid of the future. It has always been easy to hate and destroy. To build and to cherish is much more difficult. In the old days, the monarch led his soldiers on the battlefield and his leadership at all times was close and personal. Today, things are very different. I cannot lead you into battle. I do not give you laws or administer justice. But I can do something else. I can give you my heart and my devotion to these old islands and to all the peoples. I believe in our qualities and in our strength. I believe that together we can set an example to the world. I hope that 1958 may bring you God's blessing 
and all the things you long for. There are a great many things which we did not know about the Queen. She may have had a great many strongly held, well-considered personal opinions about a great many matters, but we never knew what they were. But that is not the case about her faith in Jesus Christ. Throughout her long reign, she has been consistently open about what she believes. And this has been made most clear in her Christmas broadcasts, where she has spoken of Jesus Christ as an inspiration, a role model, and an anchor in her life. In Millennium Year, she said this, Christmas is the traditional, if not the actual, birthday of a man who was destined to change the course of our history. And today we are celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ was born 2,000 years ago. This is the true Millennium Anniversary. The simple facts of Jesus' life give us little clue as to the influence he was to have on the world. As a boy, he learned his father's trade as a carpenter. He then became a preacher, recruiting twelve supporters to help him. But his ministry only lasted a few years, and he himself never wrote anything down. In his early thirties, he was arrested, tortured and crucified with two criminals. His death might have been the end of the story, but then came the resurrection, and with it, the foundation of the Christian faith. Even in our very material age, the impact of Christ's life is all around us. But the true measure of Christ's influence is in the good works quietly done by millions of men and women day in and day out throughout the centuries. In concluding her message, the Queen said, Many will have been inspired by Jesus' simple but powerful teaching, Love God and love your neighbour as yourself. His great emphasis was to give spirituality a practical purpose. To celebrate the Queen's Platinum Jubilee, composer Thomas Hewitt Jones was commissioned by the Royal School of Church Music to write a new choral piece. The result is called In His Service and has been sung by choirs, soloists, ensembles and in schools the length and breadth of the country. The melody is new, but all the words are taken from speeches given by Her Majesty and conclude with these words, A life lived ever in God's service, through all the darkest times, a faithful child of God throughout the years of life, and in eternity, a vow of love.
in his service, composed by Thomas Hewitt Jones to celebrate the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. The Queen was extraordinarily respectful of other people and a constant champion of the ordinary citizen. In a Christmas broadcast in 1980, she said, As I go about the country and abroad, I meet many people who, all in their own ways, are making a real contribution to their community. I come across examples of unselfish service in all walks of life and in many unexpected places, and I include all those who don't realise that they deserve thanks and are content that what they do is unseen and unrewarded. The very act of living a decent and upright life is in itself a positive factor in maintaining civilised standards. In conclusion, the Queen said, You don't have to be rich or powerful in order to change things for the better, and each of us, in our own way, can make a contribution. She has also said that she considers it presumptuous to talk of the faith of other people, going on to say, Jesus Christ has taught me to respect the faith of others and those of no faith. It's well known that when she was in residence on the Sandringham estate, it was quite usual for her to join the local congregation of Sandringham Church for the Sunday service. She would arrive unannounced via a side door without any fuss or ceremony and often didn't sit in the special seat which only the monarch can occupy, but would simply slip into one of the pews. She wasn't there for effect or to be seen. She was there because she wanted to be there. Similarly, she didn't have to invite a different church minister every weekend of her Balmoral holiday to spend time there with her family. But she did. And she didn't have to mention her belief in Jesus Christ and her trust in God in her Christmas broadcasts to the world. But she did. And it would always be the climax of her message. Two of the strongest themes to which she would return very frequently were forgiveness and loving our neighbour. In 2011, she said, Although we are capable of great acts of kindness, history teaches us that we sometimes need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness or our greed. God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, but a saviour with the power to forgive. Forgiveness lies at the heart of the Christian faith. It can heal broken families, it can restore friendships, and it can reconcile divided communities. It is in forgiveness that we feel the power of God's love. And this is a conviction that the Queen has clearly tried to live out in her own life. She has led the country through some of its greatest and darkest moments with grace, strength and faith. And even though her position as our Queen created an understandable separation from her people, the heart-wrenching image of her sitting completely alone at the funeral of her beloved husband of some 74 years spoke more eloquently than any words of her solidarity with every person in a similar situation, prevented by the Covid restrictions of the time from having the support of family or friends when it was most needed. To celebrate the Queen's 90th birthday, the Bible Society, the charity Hope in Our Villages, Towns and Cities and the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity collaborated to produce a beautiful book for which the Queen graciously agreed to provide the foreword. In it, she wrote, 
In the last 90 years, the extent and pace of change has been truly remarkable. We have witnessed triumphs and tragedies. Our world has enjoyed great advances in science and technology, but it has also endured war, conflict and terrible suffering on an unprecedented scale. In my first Christmas broadcast in 1952, the Queen wrote, I asked the people of the Commonwealth and Empire to pray for me as I prepared to dedicate myself to their service at my coronation. I have been and remain very grateful to you for your prayers and to God for his steadfast love. I have indeed seen his faithfulness. I invite you to join me in reflecting on the words of a poem quoted by my father, King George VI, in his Christmas Day broadcast in 1939, the year that this country went to war for the second time in a quarter of a century. And I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, Give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, Go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be to you better than light and safer than a known way. <laughs>